Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, September 23rd, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Big weekend in college football. The national headlines go to a couple of neutral field games, Arkansas-Texas A&M in Arlington, Texas, and Notre Dame-Wisconsin at Soldier Field. But there's some fascinating games by our area teams as well, all of them on the road. Kansas State visits Oklahoma State as Big 12 play begins for both teams. It's a game against ranked opponents. If you're looking at the coaches poll, both are 3-0 with impressive victories. K-State over Stanford and Nevada and Oklahoma State at Boise State. Callis Robinette provides the preview. Missouri visits Boston College in an important game for the Tigers who are coming off a walkover of Southeast Missouri State. Lila Bromberg tells us it's the first meeting between the programs and what's at stake for the Tigers. Jesse Newell updates us on Kansas. The Jayhawks go to Duke in a Champions Classic showdown. Uh, Not really. KU and Duke don't even play in the Champions Classic this year, but it's a good occasion to discuss how basketball-centric schools can be competitive in football, which the Blue Devils are, and the Jayhawks haven't been for a while. So let's get started on a college football Thursday. Kellis, I was pretty darn impressed with what I saw from Kansas State on Saturday. I think it's an outcome that probably flew to some extent under the national radar. But on the other hand, Kansas State climbed into the AP Top 25 for the first time this year. So summarize what you saw on Saturday at the Bill. I mean, yeah, if you're a Kansas State fan, I don't know what more you could have asked for. Uh, it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing game. Tied 17-17 going into the fourth quarter. Really no passing at all from Kansas State without Skylar Thompson. But you know what? The beautiful thing about that game is they played so well in the trenches, they didn't need to throw at all. They only attempted 13 passes, completed 10 of them, got one big touchdown out of it. The rest of the time, they handed the ball to Deuce Vaughn, Joe Irvin, let the offensive line do the dirty work. And lo and behold, uh, they scored 21 unanswered in the fourth quarter, totally wear down Nevada, um, which is not the easiest thing to do. Um, Like you mentioned, I think some people maybe overlooked exactly how good the Wolfpack are as a team, but They've got a heck of an offense and uh, a quarterback named Carson Strong who could maybe be the number one pick in the upcoming NFL draft. And I'll tell you, from what I saw, I was I was very impressed. He's not mobile. He can't run. So I think that does hurt his NFL stock. But he put some throws into some amazingly small spots on the field. I mean, into triple coverage. He hit a guy on a, on a post route over two defenders while he was getting interfered with and still completed the pass. I mean, almost like he just dropped it in there. Um, so to hold him under 300 yards and to hold Nevada to 17 points when they've got a guy who can who can throw the ball like that is a testament to Kansas State's defense. And then on the other side of the ball, just a, a heck of an effort from an offense that you knew going in wasn't going to be able to throw without Skylar Thompson. And I think that's, to me, one of the most impressive things a football team can do is when they can line up and the other team knows what's coming. And in this case, that's a run to Deuce Vaughn. The other team knows it's coming. They stack the box. They say, we're going to stop it. And you still get first downs doing it anyway. That's a sign you're a darn tough team. And I think that's the most impressive thing that came out of that. Yeah, the Kansas State defense was fantastic in in this game. I'm very interested in hearing your opinion on this, but it just seems to me that this is – kind of the way of the Big 12 this year, right? Nobody's winning with with the quarterbacks that sling it all over the field. A lot of them are winning with defense. We're going to talk about the Oklahoma State game coming up because the Cowboys are the same way, but a team that, you know, wins with good defense and a strong running game is good in the trenches and ultimately you're going to win a lot of football games when you're good in those areas. 
Definitely. And I mean, a, a great sign of how much things have changed in the Big 12 is this game we've got coming up between Kansas State and Oklahoma State. Um, I was just kind of looking at some numbers because I knew going in, you know, obviously Kansas State's going to be looking to run the ball. How does Oklahoma State defend against the run? This should tell you how well they're playing defense in the Big 12 right now. Oklahoma State is holding teams to 2.6 yards per rush, which in my mind is incredibly good. Big 12 teams do not normally do that. That number ranks tied for fifth in the conference right now, meaning there are four teams that do better than that. And Kansas State's one of them. They allow 1.9 yards per rush. And now maybe some of that is just because of the unbalanced non-conference scheduling. Kansas State, I don't mean to take anything away from them, but Stanford wasn't really looking to run when they played them. Neither was Southern Illinois. Nevada threw the ball everywhere. But still, just those numbers there in general show you that these teams have put a lot more value and time and effort into defense than we've seen, you know, going back a few years when we saw games that were 63-60. And the goal was just, let's just outscore everybody and worry about defenses later. It's kind of shifted. Oklahoma State, coming into the season, I thought had the best defense in the conference. They've had some injuries now, so... I don't know if that's clearly the case anymore, but they just won a game against Boise State where same thing as Kansas State. They ran the ball 13 times, 120-120. And it was very interesting to me to read the quotes that Mike Gundy had this week where they asked him about, about that. Like, he'd never really been a coach who's interested in controlling clock and winning these grind-out games. And he basically said, we've got no choice, you know. We're not playing that great on offense, but our defense is really good. So we're going to settle in and win these games that only take like two hours and 45 minutes and just try to win these barn burners, low scoring games. And again, this game is just not what we've seen in the past because the the over under on this game was originally at 50, which for a big 12 game is low, but that was even way too high. It's already come down to like 45 people thought, Hey, it's not going to be that high scoring. So I'm personally looking forward to a comically low scoring game here. It'd be amazing if neither team could reach double digit. Yeah. And these are two teams that really get after each other too. I I've covered a few K-State Oklahoma state games in the Mike Gundy era, and they are physical games. Again, even when the teams were a little more offensive minded, I just know that they really go after each other. they have been, they've been fun games. Oklahoma state's kind of gotten the better of the Wildcats the last couple of years. And They've won two in a row and four out of six, I think, over, over the Wildcats. But they've been good games and, and competitive games. And you're right. For Oklahoma State to go to Boise State and to hold the Broncos to 20 on the blue field, that's pretty darn impressive. And look, uh, Oklahoma State caught a big break in that game. Boise State returned a fumble for a touchdown that the officials blew dead. They shouldn't have. And then Boise State ends up missing a field goal off of that possession that would have won the game for them. But still, Oklahoma State played really well. I. I put them in my top 25 poll this week, and I know they're not in the AP top 25, but they did get the coaches poll, I think, at number 22. So it is a battle of ranked teams. And if you had to seed the Big 12 right now, you know, just based on the polls, you'd have Oklahoma and Iowa State at the top, and then you'd have Kansas State third and Oklahoma State fourth. So, you know, you talk about being a pivotal game. Maybe the, the survivor of this game on Saturday in Stillwater is the, the top challenger for the Sooners and or Iowa State to play in the Big 12 title game. I agree with that, definitely. I would say the winner of this game is in a great position to become the surprise team in the Big 12. Now, I say that knowing that Baylor's still undefeated, Tech is still undefeated, TCU is undefeated. There's some other teams that could reach that level. But to have these two teams playing right off the bat, that's going to be a good win, especially if K-State wins it. I don't know how many teams are going to go into Stillwater and win this season against that defense. If Kansas State can do it, What's interesting is because they would have a road win right away, and then their next two games are at home against Oklahoma and Iowa State. Now, that's very hard. 
Those are three teams you probably don't want to play right off the bat. But the flip side of that is if you could somehow win all three games, there's no argument at who the top team in the conference is at that point. No doubt. No doubt. It's amazing, really, that Kansas State opening its conference schedule on the road. That never seems to happen. No. Yeah, for uh, for the last 123 years. <laughs> it, it never not happens. <laughs> doesn't matter if they have the schedule that has four or five Big 12 games at home. They always seem to open on the road. And I know that was always a point of contention with Bill Snyder, or it got to be anyway. So I, I actually have a funny story on that. There was one year where... Um, Kansas State, I don't remember what year it was, but one time Kansas State actually did get the Big 12 opener at home and they were happy about it. That's what they wanted. Um, and then kind of late in the game, um, Texas Tech came in and asked Kansas State, basically they had a weird deal on their schedule where they were going to have like a double buy early in the season and they floated it to Kansas State. Hey, is it possible we could move the game that we have scheduled for Lubbock this year to like the second week of the season? Play it early. We think we can get on ESPN. It'd be great exposure for the league, for both of us. You know, you got to come here anyway. Let's just play it early. And Kansas State said nuts to that. We don't want to start on the road again. We're playing at home. You guys just deal with it yourselves. So totally gave him the middle finger and it didn't happen. It's, it's been a point of contention around here. And I've always found that story fun. So maybe it's payback for giving Kansas State the very first Big 12 game <laughs> at home against Texas Tech in 1996. That's that's right. Didn't read the, the fine print on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hey, great win over Nevada, of course, but Kansas State did not come out of there unscathed. There was an injury that uh, that's going to make things a little more difficult for the Wildcats. Yeah, um, unfortunately, second straight game, they've had a, a, a starter go down with injury. This time, unlike Skylar Thompson, it is season-ending. Khalid Duke, who uh, is one of their more talented defensive players, he's uh, been a starter for two years at defensive end. This year with their three-down front was actually playing a little bit of, you know, whatever you want to call it, stand-up linebacker, pass rush linebacker. So he was either a slash position defensive end linebacker. He was doing a really good job, um, had a couple sacks to his name, a couple tackles. And had done a really good job both getting to the quarterback in pass rush situations and uh, closing on running backs and keeping them down for for no gains. But he injured his, I believe it was his left leg. It didn't look good coming off the field. He had to be carried off by two people, couldn't even put any weight on it. So I didn't expect him back anytime soon. Unfortunately, he'll be out. Um, but without him, the one encouraging thing is this last game, they put uh, Nate Matlack in for the first time to see what he could do with extended playing time. And he made a lot of key tackles to get Nevada off the field on third and fourth down. So they actually have some depth of that position, and they're hoping that they can you know, bring that along and, and be okay even down one of their better players. All right, so it's Kansas State at Oklahoma State on Saturday on ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> Once again, hope you have streaming. And I know Chris Kleiman was asked about this earlier this week and said the right thing, right? It's not, you can't control it, so no, no, no need to worry about being on a streaming service instead of one of the ESPN networks. A couple of three and O teams, both ranked in at least one poll. This game should absolutely be on the family of networks, but but it isn't. So stream it, watch it, listen to it to Wyatt and stand on the radio. Uh, just. Pay attention to Kansas State, Oklahoma State, because it is going to be a good one. All right, we're going to catch up with Lila Bromberg, who covers Missouri, and say goodbye to Callis. Thanks, Callis. All right, Blair. Thanks. Lila Bromberg has joined us. She covers Mizzou for the Star. Lila, how you doing? Good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. So you covered your first Missouri Tigers sporting event. It was a football game last Saturday. 
at Faroe Field. I guess I only get one opportunity to ask about someone's first impression of a place. So tell me, what did you think of the Faroe Field? Yeah, it was a really cool environment. Honestly, I went into it not expecting much of a crowd with them playing an FCS opponent in Southeast Missouri State and, you know, it being uh, an 11 a.m. kickoff and kind of a hot day. But, you know, you had almost 50,000 people there. I, I believe it was somewhere in the, you know, 40,000s or something like that. So just really great to see the turnout and, uh, you know, see everyone tailgating. Hadn't, you know, been to a game live in a while and seen people like out tailgating and in the stands. So uh, it was a really cool experience. Yeah, that's right. Last year, there weren't fans at football games. So this was the first game you covered in 2021, right? So um, yeah, they have fans in the stands. It's been kind of fun. I worry a little bit still about COVID, but hey, mm-hmm. it's, it's here and, and we cover the games. All right. How about the Tigers on the field? As you said, there was an FCS opponent. I kind of didn't know how to gauge because Southeast Missouri had played a couple of good other FCS opponents in its first two games. And Missouri, of course, coming off the loss to Kentucky but really no problem at all for Mizzou in this one. Right. I think when you look at the score of this game, you know, it's a, it's a little misleading, you know, with uh, 28 points allowed to Southeast Missouri State. Those all came in the second half once, you know, your starters are out, your primary backups are out. I think Coach Drinkwitz said he played, you know, over 70 players in that game, which he, you know, had never done in a game before. So really just if you're talking about looking at this team's improvement in the first half, it's hard, you know, against an FCS opponent to kind of gauge that. But you did see a huge improvement, I thought, with uh, how the defense looked particularly that had been an issue throughout the season and, you know, held uh, the Red Hawks to just 69 total yards, didn't allow them to convert on any of their five third downs in that first half. And the offense scored on every drive that went down the field. So you know, there are a lot of positive signs, and I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, against a better opponent this week, how much improvement has actually been made. Yeah, look, Missouri did what it should have done against an opponent like this. It's the only game like this they'll play this season. North Texas is a, is a better opponent. They're their final non-conference game, which is in a couple of weeks. So, but you're right, Lila, they, they, they go to Boston College. Before we talk about the, the Eagles specifically, I liked something that Eli Drinkwitz did say earlier this week when just sort of asked generally about playing Boston College. He respects the opponent. He said all the things a coach should say, but he also added, listen, Missouri doesn't recruit in that part of the country. It probably doesn't make a lot of sense to play this game. Boston College actually returns the game to Mizzou in, I think, 2024. What did you think of that? I, I thought it was a pretty good point by Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. It's kind of uh, been entertaining to see kind of how it's been going around Twitter and just kind of seeing the reaction to that. I think it was very much kind of, you know, a question asked whether it was a game, you know, worth playing just his thoughts on it because obviously it wasn't scheduled while he was running the program. And I think, you know, he does make a good point in that it's not really uh, a rival. The teams have never played before. So um, there's not, you know, rivalry or anything there. And, you know, Massachusetts certainly isn't known for football recruiting. Most of their recruits on that team are actually from where I'm from in, in the D.C., Maryland area, if you look at that team. But I do think it'll be interesting, you know, playing an ACC opponent. Missouri hasn't played a team from the ACC since 2011 in the Independence Bowl versus North Carolina. You know, so I think it'll, it'll be interesting, you know, a fun environment and a good test, especially with kind of how some of Boston College's strengths match up to, you know, Mizzou's weaknesses so far. But yeah, I mean, he makes a good point that it's not, you know, a game that you're going to have a lot of Mizzou fans coming out to see or that, you know, you're going to be recruiting from that area as much. Because, I mean, really, even the schools in that area, Boston College and UMass, don't really recruit that much from Massachusetts. 
Yeah, it's, it's the type of opponent, even though a lot of Missouri's future opponents are on the schedule already, you, you wouldn't see Eli Drinkwitz, as long as he's at Missouri, uh, going to that part of the country to to schedule a game. So what else do we know about Boston College, besides their 3-0, and the, the quality of opponents for the Eagles, uh, a little bit sketchy. Yeah, so the Eagles so far, they opened up against Colgate, um, an FCS team that is still has still yet to get a win. You know, not really a high caliber FCS team, even when you're looking at comparing those teams. Then they played UMass, who, you know, really kind of let stay in the game and allowed them to score 28 points, which was, you know, a big surprise. And then faced Temple, which, you know, is a team that got blown out by Rutgers. So I think that kind of says, you know, enough you need to know in itself. So it's it's hard to gauge how good this team is. But I think one of the points that Eli Drinkwitz brought up that is very noticeable, regardless of the opponent that they've played, is how good their offensive line is. Four of the five guys on that line uh, have previously earned all-conference honors. You've got a lot of guys with size who are getting NFL looks and a ton of experience. There's 140 starts between those five starters on the offensive line. So that's a big concern for Mizzou going into this week. Yeah, and listen, it kind of plays into a little Mizzou weakness. That's the rushing defense. Central Michigan and Kentucky both piled up the yards against the Tigers on the ground. And and at least statistically, Boston College has been able to do that. But they're also operating with a different quarterback than they started the season with, aren't they? Yeah, so their starting quarterback got injured. I believe it was in the UMass game. So now they have uh, Grossel under Saturn. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. He did well finishing up that UMass game, but then, you know, last week you really saw their offense really focus on the run. He didn't really have many passing yards and kind of showed some ability to be able to run on the ground. And um, it seems like their offense is kind of running in a very similar way. I would say maybe the only thing is just kind of being more on the ground, but their head coach said this week that they're going to try and be a bit more vertical moving forward. So we'll see how that pans out, but you know, this is a guy that started seven games for him in 2019. So it's not like you're having a backup that doesn't have any experience coming in. So I don't think there's been that huge of a drop off so far. Tigers are a two point favorite. I'm surprised it's that small, but it would be a good victory for Mizzou to get on the road. And of course, uh, Tennessee the following week. So kind of a key two game stretch for Mizzou. Let's switch sports here for a second, Lila. Um, Missouri got a pretty nice basketball commitment recently. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, they're able to pick up a commitment uh, last week from Aiden Shaw. He's a six foot eight forward from Blue Valley High School, and he's ranked as a 53 overall recruit for the 2022 class, as well as a third best player in Kansas. So ended up picking the Tigers over some schools he was looking at, like Kansas, Iowa, Maryland, Oklahoma State, Arkansas. A big deal for that program is the highest ranked recruit to join the program since 2017. You know, a big pickup for them, especially if you kind of look at recent years, just kind of some struggles with recruiting, not really having any four stars. That uh, 2017 class had some five stars, and that was Juanzo's first year, and kind of since then, The recruiting has kind of stalled a little bit. You haven't really had elite talent. It's kind of unclear if this is someone that's going to come in right away and make an immediate impact, but certainly uh, high caliber talent. Hey, Annie, you picked the Tigers over Maryland, the ball team. How about that? (laughs) Over over Mark Turgeon, who still recruits this part of the country because he's so familiar with it. So, hey, Lila, great catching up with you. And we will talk again next week after Mizzou takes on Boston College. Thanks so much for having me. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important please visit kansascity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Jesse Newell covers the Jayhawks for the Star and the Wichita Eagle. You're headed to Tobacco Road this weekend where Kansas takes on the Duke Blue Devils. I can think of some great Kansas-Duke games in recent history none of which happened on the gridiron. Uh, although this isn't the first time these, these teams have played. There was a series a uh, decade or so ago, maybe toward the end of the Mangino, beginning of the post-Mangino era at KU, I think. Yeah, it was, uh, well, even more recent than that. Part of it was the Charlie Weiss era because there was definitely a 41-3 to game the last time I made my way to Durham. Uh, and that was a game where KU was only an underdog by somewhere in the seven to 10 point range and got wiped off the field by a fellow basketball blue blood. Um, that was not the best place for them, but South Carolina two weeks ago, North Carolina this week. And uh, we'll see if the Jayhawks can keep this one competitive against a Duke team that frankly is in the same sort of region that this Kansas team is when it comes to power five tiers. Um, both teams are at the bottom of the power five tiers. So if KU is going to compete with anybody in the power five, uh, Duke might be one of those teams. The game, of course, at Wallace Wade Stadium. I could tell you about my 1976 trip to Wallace Wade Stadium to watch Pitt and Tony Dorsett, then known as Tony Dorsett, play Duke, but nobody wants to hear about that. So <laughs> what they do want to hear about, that was um, a little running back drama in Lawrence. Kansas came to practice on, on Monday, and there was no Felton Gardner. The guy who started the season was the top, what top rusher last year. What's the deal? This is becoming a trend for KU football, if you remember back the last three years. You know, 2019, Khalil Herbert was a team captain for a week, and then um, he left the team after four games, transferred to Virginia Tech. Ended up working out well for him with the Chicago Bears now. Uh, last year, KU's top running back, Puka Williams, he was kind of the biggest reason I think Khalil left is because they were feeding the ball to Puka. He opted out of the season after it was either three or four games. Uh, now he's with the Cincinnati Bengals practice squad, but now here, lo and behold, three games in, and KU's top running back, Velton Gardner, decides to put his name in the transfer portal. Lance Leipold didn't really give too many details, basically just said that, uh, you know, they're going to talk about the guys that are here, kind of the standard coach response. But for being frank about it, for Kansas, Devin Neal, the four-star running back from Lawrence, true freshman, he was starting to gain more and more carries and getting utilized more and more. And Belton Gardner had a chance early in the season. He didn't always play horrible, but KU's offensive line has really struggled to open up holes. And 
you can make things a lot worse when you try to make the home run plays in that sort of scheme too, just because, you know, when, when Velton Garner was trying to balance things outside, it was turning one or two yard losses into seven or eight yard losses. Now, he still could break some tackles, has great speed. I'm sure he'll land on his feet with another program out there. But for Kansas, yeah, it's about Devin Neal moving forward. So they're going to give him more reps, give him more carries. And he kind of is one of the great hopes for the future. You know, he's a great kid, well-spoken, intelligent from talking to him and trying to learn everything, you know, as a true freshman. But um, he's got the head on his shoulders to do it. And physically, he looks different than most 18-year-olds do as well. So we'll see more of him as the workhorse. They've got a couple guys behind him. Mario Pesakixon, another local kid from the KC area who has gotten some carries, but kind of battling an on-again, off-again injury. And then we've got Tory Lachlan, who's a former quarterback who's kind of moved a bunch of positions too. So um, we'll see that. Running back room is very thin at this moment, but if they can keep those three guys healthy, then they're probably going to like the returns they can still get from them. Just injuries are going to be a concern now. They, they really can't afford to lose another guy. They're going to have to be turned into some walk-ons. Was Devin Neal destined to go to KU being a Lawrence kid, or is there a recruiting story here? Yeah, well, and uh, part of this, too, is he's a two-sport athlete. He's going to play baseball for KU, at least to start out with as well, and as well thought of in, in both of those sports. But, yeah, they posted uh, a KU Athletics on the Twitter a few weeks ago. He grew up in Lawrence, and they had a photo of him when he was eight years old next to the Jayhawk statue out front of the Kansas Union. And so had one of those how it started, how it's going tweets, that sort of thing. So, yeah, grew up around here, and it is a big deal for Kansas because – He's the sort of kid that KU has missed out on in the last four or five years. They've had some good kids come through Lawrence and they've picked other schools. They've, you know, gone to Clemson or Oklahoma or Alabama. And then again, you can't blame kids for going to Alabama, but there's been kind of some of those mid-level recruits too, the three and four stars that have gone to other schools and have not chosen Kansas that they've spent a lot of recruiting energy on. So for them to land Devin Neal, like I said, not only just because he's a really good player, but because of what he could represent, it's putting a lot on a kid three games and I know, but he is one of those face of the program types. I mean, the kid is charismatic. He understands. He gets it. He understands the significance that he can be for the program. And so there's going to be a lot on him moving forward. And I, I, I think that he embraces that and he knows that. And um, he, he's going to be a very important person for Kansas, um, not only this season, but seasons beyond. So we'll see how he does on the field. Again, he's progressed as well. He had some kind of rougher games early in the season when he was trying to get his feet under him and, and did pretty well for what limited lanes he had last game against Baylor. But if he can continue to progress like he has been, then he can produce on the field and then provide everything off the field that Kansas has really needed from a local recruit for uh, many, many years now. I thought KU took a step back from Coastal Carolina to Baylor. I know Lance Leipold was really disappointed in the second half of the of the Baylor game. We won't spend any time talking about that. It just fell apart in every direction for KU. But what I wanted to talk to you about this weekend at Duke, you know, really Kansas and Duke have nothing in common except their basketball heritage, their tradition. Uh, both schools are just basketball centric. Duke's, you know, private, KU public. They're in different parts of the country. They recruit different athletes. But, you know, when, when I see a program like Duke have some success in football, which they've had under David Cutcliffe, gone to bowl games, have had winning records. And I see Kentucky, you know, took care of Missouri a couple of weeks ago. And Kentucky's been to bowl games. And we know North Carolina under Mac Brown now. And not a history of you know national championship level success, but success there. We've had this discussion before, but it's not impossible for a school that steps first with basketball to have success in football. It can happen. And these other basketball-centric schools have, have made it happen. And it's happened at Kansas, you know, in spurts, kind of happens everywhere in spurts, and it's not happening at KU now. But I don't know. I, when I see basketball schools have success in football, it always goes back to me. Why isn't it happening at a greater scale at Kansas? 
lots of answers for that. Obviously, um, I saw one list, a national list. I think it was from the Athletic. They basically ranked the worst hires of the last ten years for college football, and a Kansas coach took up the number two spot and the number one spot. When we're talking about potentially ways to not have success in football, it would be to make potentially what is considered the two worst college football hires of the last decade, almost back to back, pretty close to back to back. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it's so interesting to me because you're right about the Baylor game. There's certain levels right now that Kansas can't compete in. Um, they need to grow up. I mean, and, and that's not saying like grow up, like tell your kids to grow up. I mean, they, I made this comparison before. You and I are old enough to know what VCRs are. They need the fast forward button on the VCR. You know, they may need to see where they're at one year from now when guys are bigger, stronger, understand the scheme, have more than one month in this new system. Uh, but but you can't do that. You can't just fast forward. So plays that might be made next year are not being made right now. And guys that are big enough and physical enough and fast enough to compete with guys at Baylor are not big enough and physical enough and fast enough to compete with them now. I think that's the hope with Lance Leipold is that it seems like a lot of things with the program right now, there's encouraging things that it's headed in the right direction. And right now, I've said this a lot, Kansas is just sort of in the mode to not completely kill itself. Every game, you know, like, look, they don't turn it over. They've turned it over one time in three games. They don't have many penalties. Their special teams um, have had bad moments, but overwhelmingly, if you look at the big picture on it, it's better than it's been in a long time. So basically, Kansas is just going to show up. You know, they're going to show up. They're going to be outmatched in some positions. They're not going to have the same types of talent and players. But in college football, sometimes weird things happen. Sometimes teams hand you the football. Sometimes they throw interceptions. Sometimes they make bad plays. Sometimes they have penalties, too. So that's where I think there's hope for this Kansas team against Duke in particular in this game, is that Duke has been a team that's really struggled with turnovers last year. And even last week, they gained five turnovers and still only won a game by uh, whatever it was, 30 to 23 or 30 to 27 uh, in a really close game against Northwestern. So that's a long way to answer your question, Blair. But I I think you start with the head coach. And this thing, it might take some time for Lance Leipold. It it might take a couple years. It might take them getting to know their schemes and systems and building in the program. But I I think there is optimism around these parts right now that Lance Leipold is the type of guy that if you give him some time, you give him some leeway and leash to get things right and do things the way he wants them done, that KU can have just some modicum of success. This doesn't have to be a program that wins eight every year. This has to be a program that competes for a bowl every other year. And that bar is so low that if Lance Leipold can meet it and it shouldn't be too difficult, uh, then he's going to be beloved around here for a long, long time. You mentioned three things that I think are really important. The fact that Kansas is low in turnovers and in penalties and not getting blown up in special teams. Those are three areas to me that indicate successful coaching and focus with the players. And that's, to me, step one in getting a program off the ground. You're paying attention to details, and those are detail-oriented tasks in, in football. You can control those things, turnovers, penalties, and special teams. And So often when you see any football team have a bad season, they're probably unsuccessful in a couple of those areas. I think that's a really good observation. All right, Jesse, it's KU at Duke on Saturday. Is Gary Bedore, our buddy, reminded me yesterday, basketball next week. (laughs) You might hit the fog and it begins. And so uh, part of our conversation will be with Gary and talking KU basketball next week. Thanks a lot, Jesse. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good, Blair. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Pickett. 
Tip of the cap to Callis Robinette, Lila Bromberg, and Jesse Newell for stopping by and talking college sports. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on kansascity.com. Hey, I wanted to call your attention to something new. It's called the Morning Sports Edition. Maybe you know about the Star Z edition. That's a replica of the printed newspaper on your screen that comes with your digital subscription. Well, now there's an updated sports section produced separately that goes along with it. When you open the E-edition, there's a box in the upper right-hand corner. Click on that, and you can access a sports section that includes late afternoon and evening news. Maybe you get the link in the email. Either way, it's access to complete coverage of the previous day's sports, news, features, statistics, everything. It's fantastic, especially as baseball season winds down. Hey, and also, I just wanted to remind you of a programming change. We're moving Thursday's Sports Beat Live with the Chiefs to Friday. So normally you would have heard some Chiefs coverage today, but by moving it to Friday, we get more information about the team from the coaches and players. So join us Friday, 9.30 a.m. for Sports Beat Live with Herbie Teope, Sam McDowell, Sam Mellinger, and Vahe Gregorian, and send along your questions and comments. Thanks for listening and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports Beat KC. We'll talk to you Friday.